right, well, let's go to Exodus 9. Exodus 9. Yeah, I just had a just ate a, a we went to mod pizza, so my 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 brain is like just with pizza pizza brain. <laughs> I ate, ate a little bit more than I needed to. Nine. Who wants to read verses one through twenty-one? All right. And who wants to read twenty-two to thirty-five? All right, twenty-two to thirty-five. Okay, great. Then Yahweh said to Moses, "Come to Pharaoh and speak to him." you 
and your people with pestilence, you would then have been wiped out from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have caused you to stand in order to show you my power and in order to recount my name through all the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will rain down very heavy hail, such as has not been seen in um, Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So now, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, the hail will come down on them and they will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of Yahweh made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who did not consider in his heart the word of Yahweh left his servants and his livestock in the field. Wait, next, Jim. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was... Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the hail will fall over all of Egypt, on men and animals and everything growing in the fields of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord said, Thunder and hail and lightning thrash to the ground. So the Lord rained hail in the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place that did not hail was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned. I said to them, the Lord is right, and, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Most replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear God. The flax and the barley were destroyed, since the barley was headed and the flax was in blooms. The wheat and the spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord, and the thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. All right. So where are we in Exodus, by the way? We're, we're, deliver, God is, we're in a place where God is delivering his chosen people, uh, the people he has covenanted with through Abraham centuries earlier. He is fulfilling that covenant. Um, Yahweh is delivering his people in the most epic way, the most miraculous way possible. And this is centered around God's um, central agenda, which is to reveal his name. He's revealing his name. He's showing his name, Yahweh, to Egypt and the world. And God, through these ten plagues, he's demonstrating loud and clear that he is the creator. He's the Lord of the water, the land, the air. He's the creator over all. 
he's slowly, uh, plague by plague, breaking down um, the nation of Egypt, all her gods, her this entire Egyptian pantheon, and most of all, God has demonstrated his supremacy over Pharaoh. And so today, tonight, we're going to we're going to consider plagues number five, six, and seven. Uh, plagues number five, six, and seven. And the first plague, plague number five, we'll be looking at, is found in the first seven verses, and it's the, the death of the livestock. And remember, that this um, we're still in the second trio of plagues, plagues four, five, and six, that have to deal with what? In what part of the creation? The land, right? God is the ruler over the land. He owns Egypt, not Pharaoh. And plagues number five... Plague number five in verses through one through seven is a it's a very heavy pestilence, verse three says. But the livestock the livestock livestock killed would only be Egyptian animals. And this differentiation between the Egyptians and the Israelites is going to be validated by a formal investigation that Pharaoh initiates and, and sets forth. But even after this investigation, we're going to see that Pharaoh is unmoved, and he will not let uh, God's people go. If you look at verse 1, um, it says, Yahweh said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And then verse 2 says, For if you refuse to let them go, and to continue to hold them, that, that verse 2, is it's not these words aren't really found in the other plague accounts. And it's a reminder uh, to Pharaoh that there's a, there's a reason why um, God is doing all this. Um, this is not a, a random move by God. No, Pharaoh is refusing to let God's people go. He's continuing to hold on to them. And by doing that, Pharaoh is standing in the way of God's promise and God's plan. Verse 3 is something that we haven't really seen before explicitly. Uh, God says in verse 3, uh, Behold, the hand of Yahweh will come with a very heavy pestilence on your livestock, which are on the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the, on the flocks. Um, we, the, the, that, that expression, the hand of Yahweh, uh, you also, we ha- also haven't really seen that in, the, in these plagues. And what it does is makes it makes explicit what has been clear from 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 all along that uh, Yahweh's hand has been the cause of all these plagues, and it also implicitly refers to the the severity of of plague number five and the death of all these livestock is going to be turned up a few uh, degrees hotter. So so God is really turning up the heat in this fifth plague. Verse 4, again, we see um, some unique kind of uh, qualities of plague number 5. And that's, and number 4, verse 4 says that God is going to make a distinction. He's going to differentiate between uh, the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. All the livestock of Egypt are going to die, but none of the livestock of Israel will die. Now, what do you see here uh, in, ver- in plague number five? Plague number five, 
What do you see? What do we see here for the first time in these plagues? For the first time in the plague itself. The actual plague that God is going to bring on. What do we see that, that is new for the first time? Well, we, we've seen that before. We saw that before in the gnats. Um, something a little bit more significant. Uh, we, well, yes, that's, that's a little different. Um, before Yahweh set a time, previously, Pharaoh set the time after God asked, what time do you want? But something even more significant in this fifth plague that you didn't see before in the previous plagues. Have we seen death? Not really, not really. I mean, you saw the frogs die, but that was when God was removing the, removing the frogs, but no death in the plague itself. And so now for the first time, even though death isn't to human beings, now there is death, right? Now there is death. Um... Uh, there's explicit death here. I mean, I guess you can assume with the blood of the, the blood of the Nile, there was death there. Uh, but here, explicitly, God is saying, "I'm going to kill. Uh, I'm going to kill uh, directly the livestock." In, in the blood of the Nile, it was an indirect, indirect death at the very best. But here, now animals are dying directly uh, by God. Um, now, any time before the Industrial Revolution. Um, I mean, if, you, if, you, if that kind of plague were to happen maybe in Arlington, all the animals dying, I mean, it would be, be pretty sad. A lot of pet animals would die. But in, in this day and age, in Egypt, um, you know, domesticated animals, that made up the entire economy. Um, so this is going to be a serious blow to the Egyptians. Um, for Egypt to lose its entire economy, and for the Israelites to retain their economy, um, this is going to be a, 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 a national humiliation. This great superpower, uh, uh, their economy is destroyed in one day, and, and Israel's, Israel, they're allowed to retain all their livestock. In, in verse 5, uh, uh, God sets the time, as Una noticed. In the second place, in the second plague, it was Pharaoh who set the time. Why do you think it's God setting the time this time? Why do you? Th- what's the purpose of the difference? Why doesn't God bother to ask this time? Well, think about it. Think about it. If you have, if you, if you had children, and you want to discipline them, and you want to teach them a lesson, so the first time you would say, "Okay, um, Paul, you know, for uh, for the next five, next uh, for the next, uh, you know, uh, one hour, you get to choose what I'm going to take away from you." Right? He says, okay, take away one of my favorite toys. I take it away. Let's say he doesn't, his behavior doesn't improve. 
after that first hour. Will I give him the, will I give him the option of choosing what the punishment's going to be? No. Next time I'm going to say, well, I gave you the choice to, to decide what toy you didn't want to play with. It obviously didn't help. So this time I'm going to set the, I'm going to choose the punishment. Right? And that's what God is doing. Uh, Pharaoh hasn't learned his lesson. And so there's no point in giving him uh, another kind of gracious chance. And so God, the severity of the plague is increasing. And we see that by how this time, now God sets the time and Yahweh will do what he says he will do. And verse 6, of all of the uh, livestock of Egypt died. How is this kind of interesting? Why is this kind of interesting? Well, because in, in the eighth plague, the locusts come and they 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 they, uh, they destroy all the. It says they destroy um, some of the livestock as well. So this word "all" or "kol" in the Hebrew, it can mean uh, all. It can mean all in the sense of totality, but it, it can also mean all in the sense of all sorts of livestock, or from all over the place. So. It doesn't mean every single animal in Egypt died. It means that all kinds of animals, in a very significant way, uh, died. So a better translation might be... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so a better uh, translation might be all sorts of Egyptian livestock died, or all sorts of or Egyptian uh, livestock died all over the place. Uh, so this is economic disaster, right? And so in verse 7, as I said earlier, Pharaoh initiates this investigation. And what is, he, what, what, what is the report that he receives? What, is it, what does it come back? What, what can we uh, assume what, that what was reported to Pharaoh? What? Uh, all... All, all over Egypt, the bodies of cows and horses and animals, they're just rotting in the sun. And verse 7, it says, how does it conclude? But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened with firmness, and he did not let the people go. What kind of hardened is this? Do you guys remember? The glory, I, the word that means glory as well. Right, it means... Uh, 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 Pharaoh still doesn't want to relinquish his glory. Yeah. He still doesn't want to let his glory, he, he still doesn't want to give up the glory that is due God alone. So we move from plague number one to plague number two in eight through twelve. And what do you notice about uh, plague number six? So we move from, I'm sorry, plague number five to plague number six. We move from plague number five to plague number six. And what do you notice about plague number six in verses eight through twelve. Oh yeah, there's a yeah, there's a different one. Yep, uh, with strength. It's a little it's it's a little different from plague number five. But what do you just notice about the the number of verses? Kind of, it's short, right? It's shorter than the rest. It's short, it, but it also involved Moses and Aaron. Yeah, that too. Uh -huh. But it, it just, it, uh, 
it can seem maybe not as uh, relevant because the, the account, the, the record of it is so short, but we will see that uh, regardless of the, the, the type of, uh, the, how much uh, space is devoted to this sixth plague, we will see that the severity is nothing to laugh about. Uh, verse 8, now he says to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kil- kiln and let, it, let Moses toss it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and it will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beasts throughout the land of Egypt. So what starts out as a small amount of soot is changed, it's multiplied exponentially by divine fiat into a huge amount of fine, fine dust, covers Egypt, causes festering boils in both humans and animals. And there, this, is, this parallels, this parallels uh, chapter 8, 16 through 19, the third plague. And how does it parallel the third plague, the plague of the gnats that we saw last Friday? Uh well, oh uh, uh, yes 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 okay yeah yeah there there is uh, that it shares the uh the the dust yep. What else does it share? What other quality does it share? So both of them are the last plague of the two sets of the trios, right? Like number three is the last set of that first trio that deals with water. Plague number six is the last plague that ends the second trio, okay? And what else does it share? So they're both, like, dealing with the hair? Yeah, kind of, but not... Uh, plague number three is more of a, a foreshadowing of four, five, and six. Even though, yeah, um, it, it, it happens in the air, but remember, four, five, six is the land, one, two, three is the water. So not really, even though, yes, it technically it, it involves air. They both attack man, right? All the other plagues, there's no... A, there's no harm done to man. So plague number three, but plague number three and plague number six, there's, a, there's an attack, a physical attack on human beings. The gnats um, uh, kind of, there were gnats on man and beast, right? And so they're presumably being bitten by these, these gnats, um, mosquitoes maybe, we think, and here there are boils, uh, these painful boils, uh, blisters. Now, in ancient e- Egypt, um, when you had some type of physical condition or you were sick, where, where did you go? Where did you go to be healed? Yeah, you went to the magicians. 
went to the magicians. And so the priests in Egypt were considered like doctors of our day today. And if you went to the priest for something like the boil, like boils, you say, doctor, look at me. I'm covered in blisters and boils. The priest would then pray to Amenhotep, the god of medicine. That's what they would do. But notice what happens in verse 11. That the doctors, now first of all, um, the doctors can do nothing about the boils, they can't remove the boils, they can't help the people, right? Uh, And furthermore, they can't even stand. Like they're attacked too. The physicians are sick as well. And so what does that implicitly say about what God is doing to Amenhotep? He's wiping Amenhotep out as well. He's attacking the God of medicine. He's saying, look at your magicians. They can't even heal themselves. And I'm telling you that it's because I am, I am, I am the real God of healing. And you're... Your false uh, god of healing, Amenhotep, uh, he, he's, 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 he's done. I, I'm ending him as well. And so um, they've been completely vanquished, the magicians and the god of medicine for Egypt. And now for a second time in this series of ten plagues, it says something different about verse 12, about, uh, in verse 12, about Pharaoh's heart. What, what, what does it say here? How is it different? Then plague number five. Yeah. So in plague number five, it was the em- emphasis was on uh, Pharaoh stealing God's glory by the use of the word uh, 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 kavod or uh, kaved uh, to harden, the same word used for glory. Here in verse 12, it's a different word for harden, and it has the idea that God is strengthening what uh, Pharaoh already wants to do. Before, who strengthened Pharaoh's heart in the previous plagues, when these plagues came? It was the magicians, right? The magicians would try to replicate these miracles, and that, in a sense, would give Pharaoh this false assurance to keep going. It would give him the strength to, to think to himself, well... This isn't really God because my magicians can can do it too. But notice when he realizes that the magicians are totally vanquished, that they can't even heal themselves, now what Pharaoh wants to do, he doesn't have the strength to do because his key source of strength has been wiped out and decimated. So now he needs strength from somebody else. He wants the strength, but he no longer, no longer has the strength that his magicians gave him previously. So God supplies the strength. God uh, gives Pharaoh, who is too weak to do what he wants to do against God and his people, he gives him what Pharaoh wants to do. And so theologically we call this compatibility, compatibility, divine compatibility, where God is accomplishing something, he is doing something, while uh, through the person that he's uh, dealing with, and that person is doing something that he wants to do as well. So they're both doing what they want to do, 
uh, to accomplish God's ends. So this is compatibility. So Pharaoh is working and God is working um, is the kind of uh, focus in verse 12. Now we move from, uh, we go from plague number five to plague number six. Now we move to plague number seven. And plague number seven, eight, nine is the third trio of plagues in the in this in these first these first nine plagues, it's the it's the last trio, and uh, the first three plagues had to do with God's supremacy of the water. The second trio of plagues had to do with God's supremacy over the land, and now this last triad of plagues, seven, eight, nine, has to do with the air. God is ruler over the sky and the air, and if you notice, what do you notice about the seventh plague found in verses 13 to 35? What stands out compared to what we saw in the sixth plague in verses 8 through 12? What's just something on the surface that's really obvious? What's plainly obvious? The seventh plague is really long, right? There's a lot of verses here. A lot of verses uh, compared to the sixth plague. So that should, that should tell us something. Um, and how do we know that plague number seven is the beginning of the third triad or third trio of plagues? How do we know that? What literary marker do we have that tells us this? We're not just making this up, right? Right, verse 13, right? Plague number one has this command to rise up early in the morning. You don't see it in 2-3. You see it in plague 4. It begins 4-5-6. You don't see it in 5 and 6. And you, and you see it in plague number 7, uh, th- this command to rise up early in the morning that you don't see in plague number 8 and 9. So it clearly, uh, Moses is telling us there is this clear trio to, uh, to uh, highlight the creatorhood of God. God as, as creator. As Al Mohler, uh, if you ever listen to Al Mohler all the time, he always says, Creator. Uh, I love how he says that. And I can't get it out of the mind. I have to say it the same way now. He's the creator. Um, and plague number seven is, a, is, is an apologetic for the plagues, for all of the plagues as a whole. In other words, this is the point in the narrative about the plagues at which God has really gotten Pharaoh's and Egyptians' attention. See, now they're listening. Now they're listening. Now they're taking this thing seriously. And because they are, God will is now going to explain the purpose of the plagues. These, he's going to tell Pharaoh in Egypt, this is the reason why I have sent these plagues. Because if he did it any earlier, guess what? It would have just went in one ear and out the other. They wouldn't have listened. He would have been talking to, you know, kind of talking to like little children, you know, who are having a lot of fun. They would have been just doing their own thing and it would have been a waste of time. So now that he has their attention, he's going to explain uh, just the reason why the purpose of these plagues. Also, in these um, last uh, three plagues, God is really going to bring it on. I mean, there is a point of intensification. Um, before, the, the plagues were what? They were annoying. They were troublesome. You know, you're like, man, all these frogs. I mean, they were more than annoying. But they, were, they, they still, it wasn't still, it wasn't uh, a severe. There wasn't 
uh, uh, human death. There wasn't violence, uh, but not so in these final three and uh, the, the very last plague, of course, plague number 10. Um, now God is really, really getting serious. Um, you know, if Pharaoh had any doubts about what the purpose of the plague, plagues were at the, to this point, um, now uh, he's going to have no reason to be uncertain any longer. Uh, Pharaoh is going to learn that Yahweh alone is supreme. And so as, as we said, verse 13 begins this, this, this last trio of plagues, begins with the command for Moses to rise up early, and that you find that uh, in verse 13. And how do we know that things are getting serious? Uh, well, look at verse 14. For this time, I've never seen those words in, in the previous plagues. See, this time, this time, when you, whenever you say this time, what, it means you're, you're, you're serious, right? So I say, follow, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. You know, if you don't, if you don't listen to me, you know, blah, 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 blah. Finally, I'll say, Paul, this time, this time, I'm serious, right? And, and that's what God says here. This time, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, verse, verse 14, I'm going to send all my plagues against your heart and amongst your servants and your people. Why, why am I sending these plagues? Pharaoh, why am I doing this? Egypt, the world. Reader at home, at crossroads. Why am I doing this? Verse 14, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Right? The purpose of these plagues is to show there are no other gods before him. No other god can do this. No other, pop, no other god can display this kind of power. He, God further explains the purpose of these plagues. And we learn about kind of the, just the, the details of why 10 plagues? Why this progressive nature of these plagues? Well, verse 15. For if by now I had sent forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been wiped out uh, from the earth. See, if I would have just wiped you out in plague number one, then... Um, Something wouldn't have happened. And he, and he says in verse 16, what would it, wouldn't have happened? Verse 16. But indeed, for this reason, I have caused you to stand. This re the, the reason why there's been 10 plagues of this progressive nature, of this increasing kind of intensity, in order to show you my power and in order to recount my name through all the earth. So to, when we see these 10 plagues, we get to see the fullest expression of God's power. Like, uh, we see the, the, all the details of God's sovereignty, of God's, what, mercy and patience, we saw that, his grace, his justice, his vindication, his retribution. You saw all, we see all of that in all these ten plagues, right? If you wiped them out in plague number one, you would have seen just a, a part of the nature of God. You wouldn't have seen his patience. You wouldn't have seen his mercy. You wouldn't have seen his grace. But because, uh, because he, he, he kind of waits and he waits and he waits, you see all of that and more um, so that Yahweh's name can be explained, right? 
And he says in verse 16, I did this to show you my power, to show you all of who I am, and also in order to recount my name through all the earth. I mean, if you would have wiped them out on day number one, um, the kind of news, the world news, it would have been, you know, it would have been, it would have been very easy to attribute that to a natural disaster, right? But the way he did it with 10 plagues, and if you think about all the different plagues that happened, I mean, this is not natural. You know, one day you have all these frogs. Another day you have all these gnats. Another day you have all these boils. I mean, this is not natural. This is not a coincidence. Like a, a sovereign God is behind that. And so he did that. He's doing these ten plagues so that, so that all the world will know. Because remember, in world history, Egypt is, in world history's terms, is history's first superpower, right? And what happens at, at a superpower, at the whole world knows, right? So every four years, we have, our nation has an election, and everybody in the world pays attention, it's on their nose too. Like everybody in the world knows that Joe Biden won the last election. Do you know anything about Korea's last election? You know anybody? You know anything about that? You know who won? Do you know when it happened? No, you don't, because Korea is not a superpower. But in Korea, when Biden won, everybody knew, and so it's the same way here. What happens in Egypt? Everybody will know, right? Remember in Joshua, when the spies get to Rahab, Rahab says, I heard about you guys. I believe, right? See, that's intentional by God. God does that intentionally. And what does God say after verse 16? Still Pharaoh, verse 17. What does God, what does God say after verse 16 and verse 17? Still you exalt yourself against my people, by not letting them go. We already know Pharaoh has been exalting himself by not letting his people go. How do we know that? Hardened heart with firmness. See, we already know that. See, that interpretation is so important because if, 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 if the interpreter doesn't make it clear, this is like, oh, oh, he's exalting himself? Okay, that's kind of new. Well, I, I kind of assumed it. But it's been very clear throughout each day that it says what? Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he didn't let them go. And God says, you, you, you keep exalting yourself. You keep trying to steal my glory. And so what does he say in verse 18? Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will rain down very what? Very what? Heavy hail. Heavy hail. What, 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 what's the, what do you think the Hebrew word for heavy is? The same word, yeah. Kavod, right? This is a play on. God is saying, you, you try to steal my glory, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you my glory then. I'm going to show you my glory. And so he sends heavy, heavy hail. And what kind of hail was it? Verse 18, such as not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. I mean, the Egyptians are incredibly, enormously proud of their long history. They, are, they, they see themselves as the original civilization of the earth. 
And God say, says to them, you think you're glorious? You think you're so glorious, Egypt? Let me show you my glory. And when you see my glory, this heavy hail, it'll be the first time that this has ever happened. Um, and so verse 19, God says, so now, send, bring your livestock, and whatever you have in the field of safety, every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, the hail will come down on, on them and they will die. What, what do we see here for the first time in the plagues? Death of humanity. Yeah, death of human beings, right. Right. But, where do we see the grace of God in this? You have a choice. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. If you believe in my word, you won't die. If you don't believe in my word, then you will. Now, look at verse 20. There were those who among the servants who feared the word of Yahweh. This is not a true saving fear, but this is like, okay, well, let's take God's word seriously. Um, uh, They fled in the houses, but verse 21, those who did not consider in, in in his heart the word of Yahweh left his servants and his livestock in the field. So there are some who believed and trusted that this was this is what was true. This, the, 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 what God is saying is, is really going to happen. Some believe, and you can imagine many Egyptians saying, well, this is a hailstorm. We've seen hailstorms before. So what? They're not, they, they don't last that long. They couldn't possibly kill all these people and animals uh, like God says. Uh, wrong, wrong. They do. You know, in the, in the LSB, it, it, it points out um, the heart, right? That in the heart, um, the, they didn't believe the word of Yahweh. And so we see that God has always been about the heart. The, the problem for Israel was a heart problem. And here, verse 21, God says, um, it's, it's not just Israel who has a heart problem. Every member of the human race, including Egypt, has a heart problem. Right? And so, now so far... As you're reading this, um, I was reading something really good uh, this past week. Um, uh, it was a book on how to teach the Old Testament. And uh, the writer was saying, you know, when you're reading Old Testament narrative, there are multiple characters in the narrative, right, that you can identify with. There are multiple characters in the narrative you can identify with. Why do we always identify with Moses? Of all the different people in the narrative, why do we always identify with the prophet? <laughs> and Right? You can identify with... Who? In, this, in this place, who can we identify? We can identify with Pharaoh. We can identify with Israel. We can identify... With the people of Egypt. But no. We always want to identify with Moses. And does that make a lot of sense? Is that the logical, kind of the most most reasonable identification to make when we're reading the t- narrative? Old Testament, Old Testament narrative? When we're reading the Old Testament, what's the most reasonable reasonable identification to make? Who would you identify with reasonably? 
The prophets or the people of God? The people of God, right? Because we're the people of God. Why wouldn't you reasonably identify with Moses and other prophets? Why wouldn't you make... Why would, why would it be that uh, just a, a bad idea? Because you're not a prophet. I'm not a prophet, right? Think about it. You're Moses. You receive the, these tablets from God. You're on the mountain. You give it to the people. You have a choice. Who do I identify, uh, who do I identify with? Moses, who's received these tablets directly from God, saw them face to face, or the people of God, who've received the law, who are now commanded to obey the law. Who are you going to identify with? It makes more sense to identify with the people of God who've received the law, right? Why not Moses? Because we're not prophets, because we've, we've never talked to God on a mountain. We've never come down the mountain with our face glowing and shining. Yeah, you can like, you know, allegorize it and say that's you, but literally, you can't, you can't take what happened to Moses and happened to you. And so, here, uh, in verse 21, my point is, is that we need to, if we're going to identify with anybody, uh, if, uh, if, our, if our sinful humanity is going to identify with anybody, it needs to identify with the people of Pharaoh who didn't take God's word seriously, right? who didn't believe God's word, right? That is the mark of the un- unbelieving humanity. That is the mark of even believers. We fail. We often fail to trust God's word. This is who we need to identify. We need to d- identify with God's people, not Moses. Verse 22. Yo, uh, Yahweh said to Moses, how do we know plague 7, 8, 9, deal with the air? Uh, verse 22 tells us, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, right? This is about God being Lord over the sky. That there may be hail um, on all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Now, history records many hailstorms that have killed people. Um, In modern times, hailstones as large as one kilogram have been measured. Can you imagine a kilogram of hail in the sky, landing on your head, you're going to die. Hail falls at more than 15 meters per second. Hailstorms devastate entire crops in minutes. There's often an a aspect of tornado. It comes with tornado activity. Uh, look, 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 at, look at the way this hailstorm is described in verse 23. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and Yahweh gave forth thunder and hail and fire went down to the earth. The idea is more like the, the, the lightning is so powerful that it, set, it sets things on fire. And it says in verse 24, there was hail, the lightning is crashing down, uh, fire is, 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 is just suddenly uh, 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 appearing and burning things and burning down barns and houses. And the hail was what? Verse 24, very heavy. Here's God's glory. Pharaoh, you stole my glory. Let me show you what my glory really looks like. This is total, total destruction. Um, But look at verse 26. So verse 25, man, beast, plant, shattered everything. But in 26, in the land of Goshen, 
where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. There's no hail in the land. I mean, this is miraculous, right? Protecting grace for the sons of Israel, who are just as faithless as Egypt. But God chose them, right? By his grace, they've been spared the justice that everybody deserves. Now in verse 27. Now, when we talk about, you know, in, in our daily experience, sometimes, you know, we've had experience in our lives, and we're really torn up, and I've, people have talked to me, I've known people like this, where they say, hey, this person really sounded like he was a Christian, and he professed faith in Christ, and he baptized, but now he's forsaken the faith. He's walk, He or she has walked away. Like, how do I interpret that? How do I... How do I understand that? And, and, and in verse um, 27, what it shows you is that the Bible recognizes that kind of a person. Like, that kind of a person is no stranger to Scripture. Because what you see, and look, look at verse 27. Pharaoh sends and calls for Moses and Aaron and says to him, I have sinned this time. Yahweh is the righteous one. And I and my people are the wicked ones. This seems like a genuine confession of, of sin and repentance. And he's saying, remember the Yahweh I didn't know who, 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 who that person was? Remember that, that Yahweh who I said, who is this Yahweh? Well, I now say that Yahweh is the righteous one. This is Pharaoh getting saved, right? Um, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Look at what, look at what Moses says. But as for you and your servants, verse 30, I know that you do not fear Yahweh God. No, this is not. This is not a genuine profession. Even Moses realizes this. But, and so you can have a person can be, can, can experience such a, uh, can be in such a traumatic experience. He can have such a surge of emotion. He can be so kind of moved by some event, that he says the right words. He says the right things. But how do we know whether or not that profession is true or not? How do we know that in the case of Pharaoh, aside from what Moses says, that he's, this is not a true profession? Because over time, we see the fruit of Pharaoh's life. That there's no fruit of repentance. No fruit of repentance, although there might be a confession of one. So he makes this false profession. And verse 29, um, Moses says, okay, Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh asks Moses to pray to God in verse 28, please, um, will you tell God, ask God to stop sending this hail and thunder? I promise I'll let you go. Um, you shall stay here no longer. I'll send you out of the city. Shh, 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 shh. Um, and, uh, and then Moses says in verse 29, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to Yahweh. The, under, the thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know the earth is Yahweh's. Verse 31 and 32, we see um, kind of some distinction, some clarity. Uh, a, a lot of the, 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 the livestock, a lot of the, the barley, the flax, the crops were, were, were destroyed, but not all of them, because some of them were still in the ground 
and the, and the, and the, and the hail didn't destroy that. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh. You notice, uh, somehow, the, 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 Moses isn't hit. He's not struck by the hail. Uh, it just kind of falls, falls all around him, but not on him. And then he prays. And then verse 33 says, The thunder and the hail ceased. The rain no longer poured on the earth. And um, 34 and 35 is, is really, really um, significant. It's, uh, if you're watching a movie, this is kind of a stunning moment in the movie. This is a stunning mo- moment in the, in the story. And again, I think only, only the LSB really brings it out. Like other translations, you, you don't really see it. It's kind of strange because, um, and look, at, look, at, look, at, look what it says in verse 34 and 35. Pharaoh, but, keyword but, he said he was going to do something, but he doesn't. But Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased. So he sinned again. He said he, he it seemed like he would confess his sin and repented, but no, that was just, a, that, that was just a, an emotional, emotional moment. He sinned again, and he hardened his heart with firmness, he and his servants, verse 35, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened with strength. Right? The, the LSB really brings it out. Uh, because it says, on one hand, he continued to exalt himself, verse 34, he continued to steal God's glory, and 35, and another part of his heart, God strengthened what Pharaoh's heart already wanted to do. So you see this compounding of wickedness, this compounding of evil, and you say, wow, Pharaoh, he is a really bad guy. He really deserves what is going to happen. Other translations, what does it say in verse 34, 35? It just repeats the same thing. Pharaoh hardened his heart, verse 34. Pharaoh hardened his heart, verse 35, right? And it just seems redundant. It seems redundant. Um, Even though the Hebrew is different, and you see how that matters. How translating the different words for harden uh, makes a difference in your understanding of the story. Yeah. And so there, yeah. Even with the step, step word, it's the same. You know, it's just basically repeating. Because it uses the ESV. The English translation for step yeah. is the ESV. Yeah. yeah. So the ESV translates it that way. So does the NSV, NASB. I think every other translation does it. So I just love, love, love the way the LSB distinguishes all three uh, Hebrew words for hardening uh, with its own kind of a unique way of saying that. Well, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And so that a, makes it a, 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 it's just further evidence that, of how fine a translation the LSB is. You know what? It, it, you would think that at this moment, at this point in time, that Pharaoh would be like, okay, you know, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let him go, but you know what? He is so deep in his sin. He is so enslaved to his pride, his willfulness, his emotions, and God uses that sovereignly to bring about um, what God wants to accomplish, and that is what the revelation of the name of Yahweh. Um, we still haven't seen God's full. Um, his full manifestation of his character, and we're going to see that 
uh, in, in place number eight, nine, and ten.